up in Philippians chapter three. We're gonna be starting in verse one here. This is what Paul says. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. So you've got to understand as Paul is pinning this letter to the church at Philippi, he's a thousand miles away. He's in Rome and they have sent a messenger with a gift to him and he's been so encouraged as he's there in prison. So he's writing this letter back and he's basically saying, listen, um, there are certain things that I say over and over and over again. I keep reminding you of these things. I know it probably gets annoying. I know you're probably a little agitated with it, but I'm doing this to remind you. I'm doing this so that you'll remember when I'm no longer here and I'm doing this to safeguard your faith. I'm doing this so you will remember the most important things that you should remember about your faith. And so Paul is speaking this to the entire congregation at Philippi but as you look through Paul's letters, he's, he's using the same type of language with his protégés that are coming up, Titus and, um, you know, Timothy, different ones. Uh, he writes to Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Timothy, watch over your life and your doctrine co closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. On and on and on again, Paul says, Timothy, you've got to pay attention to your life, how you live. You need to live rightly, but you've also got to pay attention to your doctrine. It's so vitally important. You can't just be a good communicator. You can't just be charismatic. You can't just have a good singing voice. You need to make sure that there is proper doctrine that's coming from the pulpit, and you need to make sure that your life is supporting that doctrine right? So to Titus, he would say this, an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. In other words, the key core values of the Christian faith, as it has been taught, you must hold firmly to those so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So Paul prophetically is speaking and he's saying, listen, Titus and to all of us, he's saying there's coming a day where people will try to oppose sound doctrine, but you need to know sound doctrine. You need to hold fast to the trustworthy message as you originally received it. And then we all know this passage to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, for there's coming a time when people will no longer endure sound teaching." but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, right? I remember years ago, especially as a young pastor, I, I camped out in First and Second Timothy. I read First and Second Timothy more than any other book in the Bible just because I was so young and I thought if Paul was trying to train a young pastor and I'm a young pastor, I'm gonna feed off this, you know? And it was, it was so interesting to me that 10, 15 years ago, if I would read this portion of scripture where Paul says, there's going to come a time where people aren't going to listen to that, but they're going to want to, you know, itch their own ears. They're going to get teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And I used to think what that meant was, um, you know, these, these motivational preachers. 
are these self-help preachers. And, you know, back in the, I'd be like, ah, those people, they just want to, you know, they're itching the ears. They're not talking about sin or righteousness or any of these things. And that's what I used to think it meant. But over the past few years, I want to, I want to let you know that the time when people don't endure sound doctrine is, is here. And it's far more nefarious than what I ever imagined. I thought it was just kind of playtime in pulpits, but there is something far darker that's going on today. And so because we live in such dark times, it's so vital and it's so important that the light of scripture shine forth. And we, you know, not only in the selection of your church and who you listen to or who you read, but, but even as individuals that we know the core basics of the Christian faith, the things that we should cling to, and uh, we need to safeguard those things is what Paul is saying um, here. And so uh, tonight what I want to do is I want to talk to you about safeguarding your faith. I, um, uh, when I was a teenager, I entered in the summer of my ninth grade year. Okay, so going into high school, I got braces, okay, because my teeth were out of control, okay, like a small monster. My teeth were out of control. So going into my freshman year, I had braces, and my teeth were so bad, I didn't get my braces off until after I graduated, right? It was bad, and they're still not great, okay? But, but my point is this, is that every time I would go for, you know, a checkup or whatever, I went to someone by his profession is called an orthodontist, Okay. The word ortho means correct, okay? And dentist has to do with like teeth and, and, you know, dental work. And so the word orthodontist, what it means, it means to set right. It means to set correctly whatever is wrong with this part of your face. And so when we talk about church and you hear different terminology like uh, orthodoxy, what people are saying there, they're saying ortho means the correct version of doctrine, okay? They're saying there are all kinds of doctrines. Even the scriptures would remind us that there are doctrines of demons that exist. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying, no, you need orthodoxy. You need the correct version of the doctrines, okay? And the reason we need to, one of the reasons that we need to embrace it is because what we believe as individuals often has a tremendous influence on how we behave, right? So, Let's say, for instance, that you have a person that you work with or a family member, and they, they believe deeply in global warming and climate change and all these different things, okay? Um, which I'm not, I don't have an opinion, I don't care, yes, no, whatever, okay? But let's just say that you have a person that deeply buys into that. So they are, by default, environmentally conscious and so because they believe that things are bad, what they are going to do, they believe something is wrong, so they are going to behave in a certain way to set it right, right? So they're going to, you know, recycle, or they're not going to litter, or they're, you know, going to bike to work, or whatever the case is. I'm just saying what they believe influences how they behave, okay? And that's true in the church world. You see those who are hyper-literalists, that's a big word, hyper-literalists, those who believe that, you know, every single word there is, you know, it is, it is and I believe every single word is true, but I'm just saying um, there are those that believe when, when Jesus said, listen, you'll, you can pick up serpents 
and they, they won't strike you or you could drink poison and it won't kill you. He's talking to the disciples, he's talking to the apostles and he's saying one thing, but hyper-literalists will take that doctrine and they'll be in pulpits playing with rattlesnakes, right? And people are dying, people are getting struck and they're dying. And so in, in the same way that, that, you know, what we believe about things in a secular way, what we believe about what scripture says in a spiritual sense, it also influences our behavior. And so we just gotta be really, really careful that we're not embracing um, what we call poor doctrine, okay? And this is kind of what Paul's saying all throughout his letters. So it's not just something that, that we have to understand and embrace, it's something that we've got to be able to, to stand against those who would oppose, right? So when we see churches today or ministries or whatever the case is, and there are people that are, you know, preaching a gospel of universalism that basically says everyone will be saved at the end of the day, right? Everybody, it doesn't matter if you're Hitler or Mother Teresa, everybody is going to be saved. This is a doctrine, a, a false doctrine that's called universalism, right? Well, as believers, we need to be able to stand and say, no, that's, that's not exactly what scripture teaches. And we need to be able to explain why that is what we call safeguarding the doctrine that the message that's been entrusted to us. And so there are different things like that that are, that are explosive right now, especially on socials. Uh, you're seeing so many things about the deity of Jesus is, is coming under attack. And we're going to talk about some of these in a few minutes. But there are so many core doctrines of the Christian faith that are now being questioned, the word of God, and is it really the word of God? Or was it, I mean, just on and on and on. And so we as solid believers, we've got to be able to embrace it and stand against those who may oppose it, okay? Now, I'm not saying we go looking for fights, but I'm saying if a coworker challenges you on the deity of Christ, it's gonna be very, very important that you understand why you believe that, that Jesus is God, okay? So that um, we can be able to, to contend and, and defend our faith, okay? The reason we do that is because when we have something that is valuable, we instinctively put layers of protection around it, right? So your children, my children, I have many, I, when I go to get into a vehicle to travel somewhere, I put layers of protection on them because I value them. So I put them in a car seat that has pads and it kind of comes up around their face and then we also have, you know, seat belts that buckle within the car seat. And then there's another seat belt that goes behind the car seat. And then we have airbags and then we have a metal frame and I'm trying to do the speed limit, not do anything dumb. So I have all these layers of protection. Why? Because I value that thing, right? So in my house, we have, um, we have documents that, that are very important to us. There's some legal documents. There are some um, some personal things that, that Joy and I just hold very, very close to our hearts. And so what we've done is we've taken those documents and we put them into what we call a lock box or a fire box, you know, just a protected box that has a lock and key and all that. And we took that box and we put it into a 500 pound safe. Okay. And that 500 pound safe is inside an interior closet, and that interior closet is inside of a giant house, right? It's not a giant house, but it's a house, okay? 
And so you understand what I'm saying. When you value something, you put layers of protection around it so it never gets violated or taken, right? This is what the children of Israel did in the Old Testament. You remember in Exodus 20 where Moses receives the word of the Lord in the form of the Ten Commandments, right? God comes down and he speaks the Ten Commandments. As he does that, God then expounds on those and he kind of grows that and it becomes from a core of 10 commandments, God ends up giving the people of Israel a little over 600 commandments, right? And out of that 600 commandments, because the people of Israel, they valued the word of the Lord so deeply, what they did is they, they built something that we now call, we call them fence laws. And so in other words, they had the 10, they had 600, but then they built another layer of laws around these 600 in order to protect that which they valued, okay? So they're ultimately, it started with 10 and then it, you know, the Lord gave ultimately about 600, but then the people of Israel added up to 6,000 laws and prohibitions in order to protect the smaller amount that God had given them. Why? Because they valued it, okay? Now, that ended up backfiring. It ended up not being helpful at all because it became more about a religion than it was any rule-keeping than it was anything else. So it was not necessarily helpful, but you understand the principle of what I'm saying. When there's something that's valuable to you, you, you do your best to protect it, okay? Now, you've heard me talk a thousand times and, and I'm going to, Lord willing, I'll be here for the rest of my life, I hope, okay? And in that time, you're going to hear me talk about this a lot, okay? So just when I start to do it, just like Paul is like, let me remind you, just kind of roll your eyes and smile and nod and be like, you're good, you're good, keep going, amen, okay? Um, there are these, they're what we call um, kind of like a triad. There, there are these three layers of theology, okay? And Within each of these layers of theology, you have at the core, you have um, what I call the theologies that are the doctrines that are never negotiable. We are not going to negotiate. We're not even going to have a conversation. I'm not going to try to understand where you're coming from about these things because I value them so deeply, okay? This is the deity of Jesus things we're going to talk about tonight, um, that there is one God that's represented in three persons, the, the infallibility of Scripture. There are some things, like, I'm not even going to have a conversation. I'll love you, but I'm not going to have a conversation about, right? These are the core never negotiables of my faith, Okay? But then there's the second layer of doctrines that I call sometimes negotiable, right? And these are the things where I'm like, well, let's take communion, for example. There are some people, I ran into a lady one time, and, you know, here at the church, when we receive communion, um, we have little, you know, juice cups, and we're like, you know. Um, there are other churches that have a common cup, and they're like, everybody drinks from the same cup, okay? Uh, so, which is fine. That, I mean, that's not something I care, that's not a core you know, it's like, we can negotiate, you can kind of, I, I can understand where you're going uh, with that. I ran into a lady one time and we were doing like a, a 24-7 prayer uh, room and she was kind of leading it and there were pastors in the room and she said, and back in this part, we have a communion table set up and she said, but if you want, if you don't want wine, you need to bring your own juice because Jesus drank wine and I just don't believe that communion should be taken any other way than the way that Jesus took it. 
And I was like, okay, I mean, I get what you're saying, but that's not something I'm going to fight you over. I'm like, okay, we can negotiate. I'm like, okay, it, it is what it is. So there are certain things that we can kind of come to terms with, right? They're very important. Communion is, it, communion itself is in that inner circle. Like it, communion is essential to the Christian faith, but then how we receive communion isn't always essential, you know, in that course. So it's kind of on that second layer, but then you have this, this outer layer that's like super big and it's what I call the always negotiables, right? So this is the thing um, like, like um, should, should pastors wear sneakers while they preach? Okay, or thank you, or, or do they always have to wear suits, right? Um, well, that's always negotiable. The context matters. You know, if I were going to a, a high-end Presbyterian church, I would never dress like this out of respect and honor for them, but I don't in any way, shape, or fashion think that I'm in sin by wearing sneakers tonight. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it's things that, that um, are just kind of like, you know, are, are, should we sing hymns or should we sing choruses? And the, whatever you want, it's negotiable. It doesn't, I mean, ultimately it kind of matters, but it doesn't really matter, right? That's why it's always negotiable. So we have these three layers, never negotiable, sometimes negotiable, and always negotiable, okay? It's really opinion-based at that point. And so what, what I want to do tonight is I just wanna take you through like I think 11 or 12, very, very quickly, I'm gonna shotgun this, but, but things that I believe fit into this inner core of what we as the body of Christ in the Western church, we have got to not only learn to embrace these and know what these are and make sure that we're majoring on what's major and not majoring on what's minor, okay? And in order to do that, we not only have to embrace it, but we've got to know why we embrace it. Why do we embrace the idea of a triune God, okay? And so I've given you a, a ton of scripture that, that if you want to, you can go back later and study. Um, but I want to talk to you very quickly about what needs to be safeguarded and then just a couple of, of practical ideas of how you can go about safeguarding. Okay, so number one, very quickly, we believe that the Trinity, the triune God, that there is one God and that he is represented in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in the triune God. This is a very difficult, very, very complex um, doctrine that no one really understands because we have finite minds. Uh, I heard somebody say this one time. They said, if you try to um, understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind, right? Because it's so deep and it's so perplexing. If you try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you disregard the Trinity, you'll lose your soul because it's so essential to the Christian faith right? Uh, I think it was Augustine that, that said uh, the name of God in Christianity is Trinity, right? And so it's very essential to our faith. Number two, the deity of Jesus. Um, we believe that Jesus is God. We believe that from eternity past to when he came on this earth to eternity future, whatever that looks like, we believe that he has always been God. We do not believe that God in the Old Testament was different than God in the New Testament, um, we believe that God, you know, obviously he changed covenants, which we'll talk about in our next segment, but, but his methods can change because he's free to do what he wishes, but who he is doesn't change. And he was not more wrath-filled in the Old Testament 
and then like took a happy pill in Matthew. And he was like, oh, you know what? I changed. You know what? I love you guys. He's always loved us. He's always cared. He's always been, been seeking those who were lost. And so um, we've got to understand that we believe that Jesus is, um, is deity. We believe that he is God. Number three, we believe in the virgin birth. I know this can seem like, does it really matter? You know, I've heard writers, I mean, I've heard pastors say, does it really matter if we believe in the virgin birth? And I would say it, it emphatically matters because if we don't, then Isaiah's prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet, right? Isaiah, I mean, clearly. Messiah is going to come from, you know, a virgin. And so I I think there are some things that we got to embrace about that. Number four, the sinless life of Jesus. Um, We believe that Jesus lived a sin-free life, rejecting all temptations. The book of Hebrews reminds us that Christ was tempted in every way, yet there was no sin found in him. Okay. And that is the only way that he could be our perfect sacrifice is if he were to be sin-free. And with that, we believe in the substitutionary death of Jesus, that he died in the place of all sinners. Uh, we believe that he paid a ransom for, for you and I so that we could have the treasures of heaven. Um, we believe the resurrection. Um, we believe that Jesus was, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't a thing where Jesus like, you know, there are these teachings that Jesus kind of fainted on the cross from the pain and then they thought he was dead. They put him in the tomb and he was like, just kidding, I'm, I'm good. And he got up and started walking around. We don't believe that it was just a ghost of Jesus or his spirit walking around. Scripture makes it in, emphatically clear that he bodily raised from the dead that he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit sent by the Father. And so um, I, I, I just, uh, sometimes in, in Western churches, I don't think that we have this issue, but in Western churches, sometimes the resurrection is kind of like, we, we talk a lot about the atonement and forgiveness and all that kind of stuff, and we should. That's the gospel. He came to seek and save those that were lost. But Paul says this, Paul says, listen, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, maybe he did die on the cross, but if the resurrection didn't happen, then none of this matters. All of this is in vain. You're still in your sin. You're still facing judgment. You're going to end up in hell. But he based everything on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. And so it's all of these things that kind of line up this domino effect here and they give us these, these core essential values. So we believe the resurrection, we believe the ascension of Christ. Uh, that he rose again bodily, he rose into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father uh, ever to make intercession for us. Number eight, we believe that once Christ ascended, that the Holy Spirit descended, okay? And as he descended, um, we believe the Holy Spirit uh, comes to dwell in the hearts of all believers. Um, Paul and, and Peter, they would say that when you become a Christian, God gives you a gift of the Holy Spirit And he gives you all these kind of gifts, but the gift of the spirit, the primary function is to seal your heart. It's a seal upon your heart and it's a guarantee of the life to come. It's like, uh, I think it was Paul who said, it's kind of like a deposit of heaven. Everything that you'll experience heaven, this is just like, it's a microcosm, but you also have to understand that the Holy Spirit is deity also. He is God. He is not He's the third person in the Trinity simply because that's the only way our linear minds can understand, you know, order and different things. But in the heaven of heavens, he is God. He is God and we embrace him as God and and God has gifted us with the Holy Spirit. We believe in the inspired scriptures. 
Um, we believe that the Bible is inspired, it's infallible, it's the only authoritative written word of God. We believe that more than 40 authors wrote it over 1,500 years on three different continents and three different languages. And overall, they all say the same thing. They all point to Jesus Christ as Messiah. And so we, we, we put ourselves under the authority of Scripture. We believe that Jesus Christ is going to return for his people. And when he returns, he's going to rule and reign physically on this earth. We believe in the fall of, of mankind. Um, we believe in the garden when Adam sinned against God, when he chose willingly to sin against God, that it not only broke all of creation, and this is why we have viruses and hurricanes and all these things, but, but we believe it broke us and it, it, it broke our relationship with God. It broke the, the image of, or it distorted at least the image of God in us. And so we are so removed from God, even if we don't believe that, you know, that's, that's the deal. Most people who aren't, who aren't Christians, they don't really believe that there's a need for them to reconnect with God, but it's because they're deceived, just like we all were at one time until the Spirit of God opened our eyes and we were like, whoa, okay, I got to fix this. You know, what do I do? What must I do to be saved, you know? And so we believe that, um, that all of humanity faces the judgment of God. Um, because we have fallen, that's why God sent his son for us to, to ransom us, to, to purchase us back. And then finally, number 12, we believe in the grace of God. Um, we believe the only way believers gain forgiveness from God is through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He did not say, I am a way, a truth, a life. He said, I am the way. I am the only way. And we believe that it has nothing to do with our works. We believe that we cannot earn this because it is the free gift of, of grace that Paul talks about. And so these are things like just 12 things that are the essentials of our Christian faith that we cannot fudge on, that we cannot give any leeway to. We have to stand our ground with these. And then we have to learn those other things that you know, okay, we can talk about it. And then all these things that are like, ah, oh, it's just your opinion. Okay. We've got to be able to distinguish what is major and then what is kind of minor in all these things. Okay. So very, very quickly, let me, let me give you just uh, five quick practical ways that you can go about safeguarding your faith. Okay. These are not earth shattering. You're going to look and be like, I could probably come up with a better list. And I encourage you to do that. Okay. That's the purpose here tonight. Number one is this is for you to simply stay grounded in scripture, okay? Man, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, just get, there, there are billions online. I mean, it's sickening. Like there, there are so many different ways that you can approach the Bible, but it, it's one thing to hear the word of God, and we need that. I'll talk about that in a second. But it's another thing when you invite the, the active, living word of God into your own soul privately, there is a communion that happens. There is like a dialogue that begins to happen between you and the spirit of God as you read scripture. So, so I encourage you, get a Bible reading plan. Um, get a translation of the Bible that is uh, trustworthy. I cut my teeth on the KJV. You know, I remember as a kid, I'm like eight, trying to read the Bible, and I'm like, what's a thou? Mama, what's a thou? You know, I didn't know what a thou was. And, and so, uh, 
we, we need to do that. And so I want to give you a couple of recommendations really quickly. The ESV is probably word for word and contextually the most accurate translation of scripture that we have today. Okay. Uh, it reads a little bit like the new King James Version, okay, but, but it's an easier read. Uh, the NIV, I know there's some, you know, people who have issues with that. I still think it's a faithful translation. And then the NLT, for my personal devotions, I read the NLT, which is like, um, it's not a dumbed-down version because it is a translation. It just makes more sense to me. It's like an easy read for me, okay? I'm not trying to, what does that word mean? It's, it's an easy read, and, and God has used it so powerfully in my life. And so uh, I encourage you to get a, get a translation that's easy, understandable, and, and remind yourselves of, of these truths, like, like these things that we've just talked about. You guys, it's so important that you remind yourself from time to time that you are so valuable in the eyes of God. Listen to me. Is there anybody on this planet you would sacrifice your child for? Probably not. But he took the worst of us and he said, you're so valuable and you're so loved that I'm not just going to sacrifice another person. I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. I'm going to sacrifice my son. And it's so good to remind ourselves that we are so valued and we're so loved. But then there are times it's good for me to remind myself how fallen I really am, how broken the curse made, you know, when, when Adam fell, how broken it made me. And this is the reason why it's not self-sabotage, right, where, where I look on my sin. But what it does for me is it, it makes me mindful of God's goodness towards me. That even in my brokenness, even when I, when I screwed up today and when I didn't do whatever, or, you know, argue with my wife or whatever the case is, I'm still reminding myself of God's goodness that even in all this, he still sees me as a son. I'm still his boy. Right? And it, so it's so important to remind us of those things on a personal level because that's when things really begin to permeate through your soul. Right? That's really when ownership begins to happen. So stay grounded in Scripture. Number two, focus on sound Bible teaching. Okay? John would say, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay? In our culture, there, there are so many podcasts which are awesome, okay? There are so many, you know, YouTube channels. There's so much information out there that is accessible to us. Get after it, okay? I love it. I'm, I'm all about it, okay? All I'm saying is this. Don't swallow everything that you take a bite of. Test the spirits. Measure them against Scripture. Um, see how they sit with your conscience, Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to guide you into all truth. And, and ask those spiritual leaders that, that you trust that are around you, ask them their opinion about these things, right? And so as we do that, as we focus on these things, um, we will, you know, it will settle a little more in our soul. Because it's important for us to understand, and you know this, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. But just because something sounds right doesn't make it right. You, you know that. And just because something is new doesn't mean it's correct. In the same way that just because something's old doesn't mean it's incorrect, right? And vice versa, all the way around. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's right. And just because it's new, it doesn't mean it's wrong. But I'm just saying that we, we've, we've got to get a grip and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to test everything that I allow to enter into my soul to make sure it aligns with, with correct doctrine, okay? Number three, very quickly, 
um, dig deeper into individual doctrines, man, I'd encourage you, I can't encourage you enough to pick up a systematic theology book. I mean, you may drop 60 bucks on it, but it is well worth the investment. It's probably that thick and you'll be like, I am not gonna open that, okay? But it's broken into many, many, many chapters and most systematic theology books focus on the core doctrines of our faith. And most of them are, are pretty trustworthy, okay? Um, and, and all I'm saying is this, like take, take a year and study about one of the core doctrines. Study the deity of Jesus. I promise you, you won't exhaust the deity of Christ in a year. Okay, so, so just take a year and read all that you can about the deity of Jesus or the infilling of the spirit or whatever the case is. And, and those things will begin to resonate more and more in your soul. Number four, commit to the core doctrines in your heart. Okay, I know this is obvious. I probably should have worded that differently, but let me explain to you what I mean. What I mean is that there should be a thread of sound theology that's kind of woven into our lives. Okay, so I mean that Whatever songs we sing, whether it be in worship or when you're going down the road listening to the game, you know, and they put on a song, or I guess they don't play music on the game. You understand what I'm saying. Secular worship, Christian, it doesn't matter. There needs to be a mindset that asks the question, what are they really saying here? And does it really align with sound doctrine? Okay. Now, Jingle Bells is a secular song, okay, and it doesn't align with sound doctrine, but I'm still singing Jingle Bells, okay? So I'm not saying like go extreme, like cut all this stuff out of your life. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying have a mind that practices, does this line up with sound doctrine? Does it, when I watch movies, everything that I watch, uh, uh, television, whatever the case is, I'm asking, what are they really trying to say? Where does this line up doctrinally? You know what I'm saying? Like it's this constant thread in my life because I wanna make sure that I'm able not only to discern what is correct teaching, but also what is incorrect teaching. And so I, I want to encourage you to kind of set those things in your heart. Number five, uh, choose relationships, friendships, whatever the case is. Surround yourself with people who affirm sound theology. Those core things surround, this is what, you guys, this is why life groups are so vital and so important. I will preach this till kingdom come. They are so vital and so important because it's other people speaking, they're giving voice and they're affirming the things that you believe. And it's amazing. It's amazing that there will be things that I believe deeply. Things, I had lunch with somebody today and there was some, we were talking about, I believe what he said deeply, but he said it to me in such a way that it came alive again. And I was like, that's good. You know what I mean? And so, so like, it's, it's so important that we surround ourselves with people of like minds. That doesn't mean you can't listen to people who, who aren't like-minded. But what I'm saying is that when you surround yourself with this canopy of people, there's a greater level of, it's just another layer to protect the core, okay? So uh, with all that, uh, Paul calls us to safeguard uh, our doctrine. And when you do it, when you do it well, amen.